Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Miles Away. I'm your host, Zach Honig, and today I'm coming to you from TPG's latest addition to the family, the TPG UK office here in beautiful London, England. And I'm here with Nikki Kelvin, our director of content. Welcome, Nikki. Hello. It's good to be here with you. It's nice to have you in the office. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for coming to my studio. <laughs> this is the that, makeshift studio. The, the makeshift studio, our latest makeshift studio. And that is the laugh and voice of Emily McNutt, our global news editor. Welcome back, Emily. Thanks, Zach. Good to be back on the podcast. Absolutely. And the last time we had you on, we talked about catching up with you after the move to London. And here we are. Here in yes. beautiful London. You've been here for how long now? Four months. How's it gone? Are you, are you a big so London far. fan? Or I am. I'm a bigger London fan than I had originally thought that I would be. So that's a good thing, I think. So let's kind of set the stage when it comes to, you know, the different neighborhoods in London. And, and where are we now? We're in uh, Covent Garden. Is that right? We are halfway between Covent Garden and Holborn. I did a little bit of walking around here. It seems to be maybe a little touristy. I think Covent Garden is really quite touristy, but equally is very nice it's one of those places where a lot of tourists go but there's a reason for it actually it's the kind of place that when my parents come down they like to stroll around there's always entertainment on the streets loads of great shopping loads of great restaurants and the architecture is really beautiful there could be super busy on a weekend so busy actually that they close the station for exits they restrict access in and out of the tube station so that's something to consider if you want to visit Covent Garden it's very instagrammable entirely Covent Garden. It's got the cobblestone streets. It's got flowers. I saw so many flowers when I was walking around today. I mean, they've got like flower display after flower display. Definitely lots, lots of Instagram opportunities for sure. Yeah, get your camera ready. Get the Instagram ready. Get yourself it's... on a swing with flowers, Zach, and I'll come and take some pictures. Oh, all right. Well, we've, we've got our evening set aside for us here. <laughs> <laughs> what neighborhoods are, are nearby? So say, you know, I decided to stay in one of the lovely but very expensive hotels nearby. So the closest area which I really love is Soho, which is only a five minute walk from the office, a five or six minute walk. And there are some great options of places to stay there. It tends to be smaller properties, but just generally the vibe in Soho, I love loads of really cool new restaurants um, and old school stuff as well. It's actually the old red light district or seedy area of London that has really become the really cool place to be, I think great vibes, small little streets. The only place in London where people feel comfortable strolling around in the middle of the streets, even though the roads aren't pedestrianized. But I really like the vibe there. I think there's a lot to see, whether you're a visitor, whether you live here, there's something new on every corner. A lot of really cool places, whether they're speakeasy types, where you have to go down a set of stairs that you would have walked by normally without knowing where you're looking. A lot of places to explore, which is really convenient to have nearby the office. And there are also throws back to its past. So there's a very famous jazz club called Ronnie Scott's, which is still incredibly popular and has been running for decades and decades and decades. And you can, it's sold out almost every night, but it's very cool to go and have that old school London jazz experience. And there's other places in Soho that are still like that. Meanwhile, you can go to a restaurant that opened last week that has queues going out the door. 
Now, I, I love to walk. So London feels very walkable to me. For a typical tourist or, or for the locals, you know, do you, do you find it to be an especially walkable city? Can you just kind of pick a hotel that's, you know, somewhat centrally located and, and make your way around on foot? Yeah, I think London's a very walkable city. I mean, the one thing that I will say, having come from New York, New York has a reputation for very aggressive drivers. I surprisingly found London drivers to be far more aggressive toward pedestrians. So I've gotten much more adapt to paying attention to the crosswalk symbol, which in New York I never did because you just kind of shot your way across. But in London, of course, you have to deal with the cars driving on the opposite side of the street, which is confusing. Right. But it's the your... right side, as they say here. Is that right, Nucky? Yeah. <laughs> we drive on the right side of the road. The right the side. Correct, the, correct. the correct side and, <laughs> yeah. and the right side. Yeah. Well, though, no, the left side, I guess. No, the left, but... Is, but that is the correct side. The thing about London is it's very spread out. If you're ready to do a lot of walking, that's what it takes to see a lot of London. But as long as you have comfortable shoes on, you should be able to see a good portion. As long as it doesn't rain. What season would you say is ideal for visiting London? Or would you come any time of year? In terms of a season, any time of year is good. I think coinciding with some kind of event is always fun. The run up to Christmas is particularly beautiful in London, I think, and the summer. But when I say the summer, it's picking a time where it's sunny and warm. London's a glorious city in the sunshine. There's loads to do here. If Even if the weather's bad, there's an incredible amount of stuff to do, but there's something magical when the sun shines here. So Emily, as someone who's moved uh, recently from New York City, how does life in London compare? Do you have a, a preference yet, New York City versus London, or it's a little bit too soon to say? I think that living in the two, they're similar in many ways, but they're also very different. London's a very livable city. I think it's much more manageable than New York, less hectic on every turn, much more spread out instead of being condensed into one tiny island that is Manhattan, plus the boroughs, of course. That being said, it is a metropolitan city, so you do have stuff on every corner, new neighborhoods to explore. So there are a lot of similarities, also a lot of differences in the people and the culture is much more kind of reserved and laid back, which is nice. So you're not walking to the tube in the morning and getting yelled at by a taxi driver. <laughs> okay, so people kind of keep to themselves a little bit more? Yeah, I think that's fair to say, especially compared to New York. Maybe not the U.S. as a whole, but compared to New York and its aggressive people that I was used to and have been for so many years of my life, I've kind of learned to take that down a notch. So Nikki, as a, as a native Brit, what's what's your take? I mean, you've been to New York a few times over the last few months as well. You know, how, how, does, how does the city compare to you? So people-wise, for sure, I think it's a notch toned down in London. I also would say that the stereotypical Londoner is way more reserved and passive aggressive, less friendly compared to the rest of the UK. So actually, I think you'd have quite a different experience if you left and went to the north where people are way more open, would speak to you in the street, everyone calls you love in a way that that doesn't happen here. The thing that I think makes a big difference in London is that London feels like a collection of villages and each area feels very different, both in terms of vibe and physicality. So many areas in New York, even though they're defined by a name differently, they sort of look the same. They're still on the grid system, especially in Manhattan. Whereas here, if you go from Soho to Mayfair to Shoreditch to Hampstead, these different areas look and feel completely different and feel like their own isolated little entities and in a way that I don't think you get that in New York. And so it provides this sort of almost escape as you move from area to area 
and a way to fall in love with different areas of the city. Can you walk me through, uh, you know, some of the food? Because the UK doesn't typically, traditionally, uh, hasn't had the best reputation when it comes to cuisine. Why is that? And is that a fair assessment? It's incredibly unfair, especially in London. I think we have, at the higher end, we have some of the best food in the world alongside New York, Tokyo, Paris, wealth of Michelin-star restaurants. And there are certain things that we do incredibly well. So Indian food, tikka masala is the number one dish in the UK. Everyone thinks fish and chips is what everybody eats. I mean, no one, I don't, I rarely eat fish and chips. When's the, when's the last time you had fish and chips? I actually don't eat fish and chips in London because it's so much better elsewhere in the UK. So I haven't had fish and chips in London for a, really quite a long time, but Indian food is the jewel in our crown for sure. There are some incredible Indian restaurants. There's a huge South Asian community in the UK and they brought their food with them and it, it really is amazing. So you're not craving Indian food or a long wait in line. You know, what, what else might you recommend? Classic British thing to eat is a roast. So in case you don't know what a roast is, do you know what a roast is? Is it, is it a pot roast? Is it like a, a big hunk of meat that's <laughs> that in, the, in the oven for an extended period of time no no so a roast is traditional sunday lunch food but you can often get it at other times includes either roast beef roast chicken or roast some kind of roast meat lamb a yorkshire pudding which is a big sort of fluffy pancake kind of thing roasted potatoes vegetables different sauces it's a real british classic but loads of places in london do it so seek out a fantastic roast and make sure you experience that and then i think i'd say i love some of the big Viennese style cafes, so the Wolsey or the Delorny, or there's a place called Fisher's, that are kind of grand cafes, do amazing schnitzels. I really like those places, both for atmosphere and for the food. So moving on from the, the delicious British cuisine, let's talk a little bit about what you might do, see and do as a tourist and an expat. When you think about London and you think about the UK in general, the first thing that comes to mind in many cases, is the history. And I think that if London does one thing really, really well, it's museums. And the really neat thing about the museums here is that they're free to enter, whereas in New York, you have to pay sometimes. We're not talking about like the second Tuesday of every no, month. No, we're talking every day. You go Saturday, Sunday, any day of the week, and you can get in. I mean, they take donations, so that's up to your discretion. But you can walk in for free and see some incredible exhibitions I love the National Portrait Gallery is one of my favorites just to stroll around and enjoy. There's some incredible stuff in there. And actually the Natural History Museum where you already went is my actual favorite. And the Victorian Albert, which is next door, is also so cool. How else do you get around? I mean, I took the DLR because I flew into London City, which stands for, I think, the Docklands Light Rail? Railway. That's okay, it. okay, very close. All right. And I couldn't believe it took me 20 minutes to get here from London City Airport on public transportation. The tube, obviously, is you know makes all of London very accessible. Yeah, the tube network is wide. It spans out miles and miles and miles really into the deep suburbs and is an incredible way to get around the city. There's a very good bus network as well to get around the entire city, and a lot of people use the buses in London. It's very common. They're fun. They're double-decker buses, right? So actually, here's a tip. You can get on a bus, use your contactless card if if you have them, or you can Apple Pay on your phone when you board the bus. You can also use Apple Pay on the tube as well. Top deck, front seat, big windows, and pick a nice route. I like the number nine, which goes through sort of Kensington, 
and into the West End. And that's a really fantastic route to take just to enjoy the surroundings. So you don't need one of those hop on, hop off buses. You can actually just take the regular city bus around. I think when you compare them, the big draw of them is that they're the double decker buses. And I think that public transport here in London is a double decker bus in most cases. So I don't see any point really in there being, unless you want to go to something very specific and you don't want to necessarily plan out the route on public transportation. I actually prefer the bus. I take the bus to work every day. If it's nice enough, I'll walk. But usually I take the bus over the tube just because I like to look out the windows and people watch a bit. And obviously on the tube, you can't do that. And another thing about the tube is that, well, two things. A, it's not air conditioned. So it can be the middle of winter and you're walking to the tube very fast. You get underground and you get onto the tube and you're sweating. It's so hot. There's oh, yeah. no, no temperature, control. none at all. So you're with a bunch of other people who are bundled, crammed together. And it's and it's deep down there. Yeah. And that's another thing. The other thing is that you don't get cell phone service at all. So you could even be in between stops, at a stop, and you won't have any chance of connecting to you, the outside you world. You have to download all of your Miles Away episodes before you go underground. Exactly. What I would say is, though, don't be scared of the tube. It is a world better in my experience in the subway in New York, way cleaner, way easier to understand yeah. and get around on and a really fantastic network. So don't be scared. No, I didn't mean to put it down. It is a very useful tool and I've found it to be incredibly wide ranging, get you anywhere you need. All right, uh, so we need to take a quick break and then when we come back, we're gonna dig into flights and hotel options. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There are four different airports in the London area. Is that right? Five. Five. Yeah. Five. Okay. So Nikki, can you walk me through the different airports and why, you know, you would choose one over another? Okay. I think Heathrow is the one that most people are going to end up flying into because it's where the most routes come into is our busiest airport. And Heathrow is actually pretty well situated, especially if you're willing to take the Heathrow Express. It's only 15 minutes into Paddington Station, which is in pretty central-ish London. And from there, you can take the tube or a taxi to almost anywhere. So Heathrow is pretty convenient as an airport. It is that little bit further out. Getting a car from Heathrow into central London, a taxi can take forever in traffic. So I would definitely recommend taking either the tube or the Heathrow Express, depending on where you're going to be going. There is also Gatwick, Luton, Stansted and London City. London City is the best ever if you are able to fly into there. If you're coming from somewhere in Europe or you're able to take the all business class flight that British Airways runs from New York to London City, it's incredible and makes access to London very easy, very quick. It's a tiny airport, very efficient with a tube stop. The DLR, which we just spoke about, is attached to the airport you walk right off the plane they don't have jet bridges there it's a really small airport but we walked pretty much right to immigration there's now the e-gates so if you have a u.s passport you just pass right on through very quickly 
And then I got my DLR ticket and two minutes later we were pulling out of the station. 20 minutes later we were in Bank Station and I was in central London. It is dreamy. And then the other three are the ones that are further away. So Gatwick, Stansted and Luton. Luton is right up north. Gatwick is further south and Stansted is out east in Essex. Stansted you're probably more likely, unlikely to fly to, less North American flights if any thinking about it, but a lot of low-cost carriers fly out of there. Same with Luton. So I think for long-haul international travellers it's less likely you're going to get to Luton or Stansted. There are train options to both of those places but they are pretty far away. Luton, be aware that if you ever go there on the train, the Thameslink train goes up there but then you have to take another bus from Luton Airport Parkway Station to the airport. It's just quite annoying and Luton is a really horrific airport for me. I really dislike it. And Gatwick is the other sort of likely one that you might come into. Lots of international flights. Gatwick is actually pretty good and well connected. They have the Gatwick Express, which runs to Victoria Station in central London. So it's also quite easily accessible. What are some of your favorite airlines to fly in and out of the greater London area? I think as a Brit, if we're going to talk, especially in the miles and points world, BA and Virgin are the two airlines that make it are the easiest ones to earn points with and to redeem points with and they're the airlines that will get you to the most places from London. So British Airways' network is insane out of London. You can pretty much get anywhere in the world. Virgin's network is more limited and maybe a bit more holiday focused perhaps, but also provides other interesting opportunities. But British Airways is kind of unavoidable if you're in the UK and trying to get somewhere else. I'm a big low cost fan. So Norwegian comes to mind and Norwegian predominantly flies to Gatwick, especially on those transatlantic flights that US flyers might be taking from New York and Miami now, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, wherever it is, they fly into Gatwick. And notice too that Norwegian actually flies uh, to a handful of destinations around Europe from Gatwick as well. So you could potentially, I've seen even connections. If I'm looking from, you know, the New York area to somewhere else in Europe, I've, I've seen Gatwick connections. Yeah, I would take those seriously because Norwegian also is one of the only carriers in Europe that offer Wi-Fi for free on intra-European flights. That's but, the only thing you'll get for free though, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> essentially. But as long as you know what to expect as far as baggage, don't take a big check-in bag and expect to get it for free because you won't. The other low-cost carriers will give you absolutely nothing. So at least that's something. Right. They don't even have Wi-Fi for, for purchase in some cases, right? No, in most cases. Yeah. And of course, I mean, London is one of the most connected cities in the world. So you could fly most of the, all the legacy carriers from the U.S., obviously, and a lot of international airlines as well. And so, I mean, your, your options when it comes to redeeming points and miles are, are pretty vast. The challenge, though, is the taxes and fees. So I, I actually want to take some listener questions before we jump into hotels. So Drew asks, is there any way to avoid the crazy high taxes on reward redemptions through London? And I think what Drew's talking about is the air passenger duty as part one, but also BA attaches some crazy fuel surcharges, especially in premium cabins. It's a struggle to get away from them. The government imposed taxes. If you want to leave London or the UK, you're going to have to pay them. There are some ways to get around it, though, but they take a bit of ducking and diving. If you fly out of Jersey or Inverness, those are two places in the UK where you don't pay APD. So starting your flight in either of those places is an option. And also leaving the UK to start your flight and flying home from somewhere else. That's the best piece of advice, really. It's the only way to get out of it. It also opens up options for other airlines who don't charge as crazy fuel surcharges. Good examples might be taking a hop down to Madrid and flying Iberia, where fuel surcharges are way lower and you don't have to pay APD. Hopping over to Dublin and flying on Aer Lingus, 
or flying to anywhere else in Europe and flying on the various European airlines back to North America, remembering that to fly from London or other cities in the UK to these places is super cheap and super quick. You know, Dublin, you can often get flights for £15 or £20, you know, $25, and it might take you 50 minutes, the flight. I've actually done at London City to Dublin. The advantage of that is you don't have to get out to Heathrow or Gatwick and, you know, you don't have to deal with, you know, the crazy security lines and immigration and everything. And so it's less than an hour flight, I think, from uh, London City to Dublin. It's a really fun takeoff, too, because it's a really steep departure just because of the noise abatement procedures that they have there. And so I saved many hundreds of dollars by beginning my trip home from Dublin. So I booked, you know, a really cheap, I think like 50 pound ticket from London City to Dublin. Well, interestingly, I have been known to fly from London to Dublin to start a ticket that then routes back through London. So by starting in Dublin, coming back to London and then taking the flight you were going to take anyway on BA, you cut out a huge amount of the taxes. And I've done that a couple of times. But Mm -hmm. you have to be careful not to skip that first leg. Otherwise they'll cancel your entire itinerary. So you can't skip that first Dublin, London leg and just hope to hop on that second London to wherever because you have to be there for that first one. And then another thing that I recommend is is flying into London, beginning your Europe trip here. And so fly from wherever in the world you're coming from into London or the UK, start your trip here and then fly out of another country. For UK people, we love certain things like using your Virgin miles, which are very easy to collect. Delta in business class is 50,000 points and $5.60 to fly to the UK. So it's a really great way to save on taxes. It's quite a good redemption. It's not a lot of miles. Just need to find that availability. Alex asks, are there any new exciting North American to London routes coming up? And BA has actually expanded quite a bit over the last year. I know they they launched uh, New Orleans, right? Uh, there's a Charleston, Charleston, Nashville, Austin's been going for quite a few years now, and that's been actually upgaged a few times, I think to a 747, but they're definitely getting creative when it comes to North American destinations. I heard Alex Cruz, who's British Airways CEO, speaking about, you know, why he and British Airways are launching flights to these kind of second tier American cities. And Really, it comes down to the fact that they have no transatlantic connections nonstop. And it seems like they've been able to kind of maximize on these routes in promoting nonstop routes from, say, Charleston to London. And then from there, you can get anywhere in Europe. And it makes sense. And I think if you live around Charleston, for example, if you live in Louisiana somewhere and you're looking to go to Europe, it, it makes sense to be able to drive just to New Orleans rather than maybe driving to Dallas or somewhere that's a little bit farther off. Yeah. And I mean, even if you're continuing beyond the UK, as you're coming back into the US, you have to your first point of entry. That's where you go through immigration. You've got to claim your bag there. You know, it, sometimes you have to worry about connections. Right. And so connecting in Europe can be a lot easier than connecting back in the US on your way home. And I think other than BA and other than those kind of cities that we just talked about, unfortunately, we saw the collapse of Wow Air, which kind of took away an option for getting between the US and Europe. At the same time, WestJet, which is a former, I guess, still a low cost carrier Canadian, they just took delivery of new Dreamliner aircraft and they're flying those between yeah, London and Calgary now, which is exciting. One to one live flat in business class, which is really exciting for a low cost carrier. Not any points and miles options there that you can really take advantage of, but at the same time, a fraction of the price of what you'd pay for a live flat 
with British Airways or another full cost competitor. And I've noticed in general, um, especially to Asia, but also to Europe, sometimes the fares can be considerably less out of Canada. So if you book a separate ticket to, you know, say Toronto or Calgary or Halifax or, or somewhere else, and then, you know, fly from there, you might save uh, a bit over a nonstop from the US. So actually you guys are playing the same tricks we do. We call it XEU. So I guess you're doing your own XUS yes, trips. Absolutely. And then once the 737 MAX returns to service, I think they're going to resume with the Halifax service. Is that with Air Canada, actually? I think it was Air Canada that launched. There were a couple new MAX flights from Eastern Canada, Northeastern yeah. Canada to London as well. Emily loves a, a random far east coast to Europe route. <laughs> I do. I am a big fan of Norwegians, uh, Newburg to oh, Bergen. Oh, yeah, Newburg. Yeah. And so when it comes to hotel options, I found that the hotels in London are very expensive. And I mean, I guess you could say the same about New York. But we're talking like if you come during the summer, if you want to stay at a five-star chain hotel, I mean, you're easily looking at $600 a night and up, even with the current favorable exchange rate. And so it does present some good options to redeem uh, your points instead. Emily, you were you were mentioning the Conrad you've stayed at. Yeah. When I first moved here, I had the great joy of spending Oh, that was your nights. home. Yeah. It was my home away from... It was actually my home. <laughs> it was a really nice property. I highly recommend the Conrad. That said, when I was staying there, they were renovating the club lounge, the executive lounge. So I'm a Hilton Diamond member, thanks to my Hilton Aspire card, and I have access to the executive lounge. But at the time, they were renovating it, so I'm curious to see what it looks like now. But overall, it's a really nice property, great location by St. James's Park, and can walk up to kind of Hyde Park and Buckingham Palace. It's not too far off, but you're in a really nice location, great service, great breakfast buffet. And when I look, the cash rate seemed somewhat reasonable for you know a hotel of that tier, but this is one example where you know you might really struggle to find decent redemption rates especially with you know Hilton's variable pricing the cheapest i could find was 139,000 honors points per night and it was $400 that you know on that night so definitely you know look at the cash rates too don't just jump to points as far as points redemptions uh, there are plenty of options with Marriott that are fairly reasonable one hotel i really like with Hyatt uh, is the Andaz and so i've stated the Andaz before and it's just 20,000 Hyatt points per night, even when rates can be, you know, $600 and up. And so that's definitely a redemption to keep in mind for sure. As far as Marriott, though, um, I've stayed at the W Leicester Square. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's right. Oh, look at me. Good job. Leicester Square. Leicester Square, which is very expensive with cash, but fixed at 60,000 points per night. So that is definitely one to consider. There's a Limeridian not too far from there. When I looked, it's a little bit less with cash, but also 60,000 points per night. There's a Sheraton and the London Edition. Actually, both of these, even though the cash rates are very different, also 60,000 Marriott points per night. But the London Edition, I've heard good things about. That's a great host. I haven't stayed there, but I've been in there a lot of times. There's a very cool restaurant attached to it called the Burner's Tavern. It looks great. The points guy himself stays there. Oh, wow. All right. It's, wow. it's got to be a classy proved. joint. Nikki, you had mentioned the Intercontinental Park Lane as well. Have you been in there before? Have you stayed there? I've been in there a few times. Haven't stayed there. Very grand, large hotel right on Hyde Park. And if you can get good rates there, I don't know what the points rates are per night. But if so you have it's hot. It's at the, the upper end, uh, definitely for, for IHG, 70,000 points per night. Considering the cash rates can exceed $600 there as well. If you have IHG points to burn, that is a nice property in a really nice location. 
Emily, if someone wants to follow along on your European adventures, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at mcnutt.emily and on Twitter at m underscore mcnutt. E-M underscore mcnutt. Correct. And Nikki, how about you? Bit easier for me. Follow me across <laughs> socials at Nikki Kelvin. Actually, if you really like airplanes, though, I am at Miles Mogul on Instagram. That's where the aviation porn lives. And where can we find the Point Sky UK on social? You should go to www.thepointsky.co.uk for our website or on social media at the Point Sky UK. Safe travels, guys. Safe, Safe travels. <laughs> I am your host, Zach Honig. This episode was produced by Margaret Kelly and Caroline Chagrin. Our music is by Alex Schiff. If you've been enjoying Miles Away so far, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 